0: I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast, and then story, and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth, it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative.
1: Uh, We're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, so we would see the people in them as real people, And that that might help us connect to maybe God is real, too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast and what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the Breakfast Translation. So here we are. We're in Acts chapter 8. And we're in one of these moments in Acts where it's something that Acts is actually kind of famous for, I think, which is conversion stories. Mm -hmm. These moments where somebody meets the story of Jesus for the very first time. And we're actually going to see this through the story of Philip, who we met in the last chapter. He was one of the seven people picked to make sure that the Greek widows had enough breakfast and so here he is kind of playing a different role in this story where he is introducing some people to the story of Jesus. So I think it's important for us to, you know, we've only kind of talked about ourselves just a little bit on here. Maybe the only maybe. people who are listening are people who already know our likes and dislikes and <laughs> our stories. Uh, but maybe <laughs> people are just tendencies. listening and they, they only know us through the podcast or they just want to hear us talk about some more things. Uh, But I do think it's worth noting that so much of Acts is about this idea of conversion. And it seemed worth it for us to kind of tell our own thoughts on conversion. Like if we have a story of like a moment where we heard the Jesus story for the first time or we decided that we were in on the Jesus story or just a moment where we went from one version of ourselves to a different version of ourselves. So do you have a story like that? Do you have a conversion moment?
0: I do. I have a conversion moment, and there was no flashing lights or anything of that nature, but I just remember, I don't remember the setting, and I don't remember who was speaking, but I remember the word that they chose to use for when they were describing um, God speaking was they said God whispered, and for some reason that just really, for the first time, made God feel like something physical, something that could be in the space with me, and it really felt like there was a before and after. I got baptized after I would had that um, that experience of, of God whispering to me.
1: I love that. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love because I think sometimes
1: it is something as small as just making something sound new, right? To us, yeah. uh, Frederick Buechner is one of my favorite writers, and he talks about how his conversion moment was going stumbling into a church in New York and hearing the preacher say something about God laughing. Mm. And that that was that so was stunning to him to think of God laughing. Oh, wow. Yeah. That God became real to him. Mm-hmm. So your story is, is kind of similar to that. Like you just mm-hmm. saw, saw God in a, in a new way. Great. Um, and yours?
0: If you have one.
1: I do have like a – so I grew up in church as we, we talked about that a little bit. And in the church I grew up in, um, we're to see here a little bit some stuff about baptism and there was this expectation in the church I grew up in that you would get baptized. And that was sort of seen as a moment of conversion, where you were saying that you were in on this and that you believed all the things that the church was trying to tell you about who God was. And I feel like in the church I grew up in, most people did that in, like, fourth or fifth grade. Right. But I wanted to, like, hold out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I... I I had that impulse in me yeah. to, like, make them wait for it. Right, you know? yeah, work for it a little bit. Yeah, and so, and I even remember as a kid, like, especially my grandma was, like, really anxious about it. Uh, yeah, and, like, every time to we to visit her house, she'd be like, have you been thinking about this baptism thing? And, and it's actually kind of buried in, like, there are really deep ideas in the church about, there's even stats about it, about how people who have some kind of moment— or some kind of conversion moment before the age of, like, 12 or so, that it tends to, like, ho- hold on deeper in their life. Oh, like
0: it's... interesting.
1: And so there is, I think, a, an anxiousness to, yeah. like, children's ministry and youth ministry sometimes, like, to have a defining moment mm-hmm. for kids. And – but I just – I wanted to make – I wanted to like draw that time out of yeah, that. I, well, so I,
0: I totally understand wanting to be intentional and yeah it's a big like, it's a big
1: I'm I mean just, I just wasn't sure about it right and but I did love so I went to church camp and so I have like which I think is a little bit too it's a little too on the nose for me because I feel like that's also like a a stereotypical story of having like a church camp conversion um and I would prefer that it <laughs> this is cool, it's as cool as your story. <laughs> like,
0: like, I really wish it was something where I just heard something new for the first my, time. Co- my experience could have been at church Kit for some reason. I can't locate the place, but yeah. that, the moment was special. So, yeah, it was just a feeling. Yeah. Right? Well, I didn't have that feeling until, but I was at least in middle school. I was like somewhere around
1: sixth or seventh mm-hmm. grade. And I went to Round Lake camp every every summer. And I remember one night, it was during the music. And, you know, I just had this moment of like, I'm in. Like, mm-hmm. I want this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think there's there's mixed feelings about that. Like, I have friends who have really damaging stories yeah. of feeling
0: manipulated by that. Right. Um, by sort of the, like, the loud music and the everyone around you is excited and you just feel a little bit emotionally. Yeah. Gone. And
1: I don't know. Um, there are some camps aimed towards young people where mm-hmm. there's, like, a, a set plan. Like we're going to have fun Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday. We're going to talk a little bit about sin. And then Thursday night, we're going to get you.
0: When they're you nice know? and tired yeah, and yeah. vulnerable. Yeah, we're going to wear you
1: down. <laughs> I mean, and I've been, you know, I've been invited to camps to give like the decision night speech. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there there is a little bit of a, uh, ma- like a manipulation feeling that people can have from that sometimes. But when I look back on it, I don't, I did not feel manipulated. Like I I legitimately felt like I waited long enough for my own peace of mind to sort of say, no, I just, I want this story. Mm -hmm. And I remember right around that time having a sense that God was with me at school and God was with me at my house. So it wasn't just like an emotional moment. It was, I had become convinced that God was with me. God is going to be with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, well, if God's with me, then I might as well also do whatever I can to say that I am also with God. And I remember actually holding out. So has a, a part of camp, they do like baptism in the lake on the last night. And okay. it's this really yeah. beautiful thing where people are holding candles and stuff. But I waited until the next weekend at church because I wanted my grandma to be there, Aww, this grandmahood, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> Who cared so much? Who was like, okay, Who cared so much and, and pushed me towards it? Yeah, it was kind of a mixed feeling, but uh-huh. I did want, you know, I wanted my family to be there, and so I, I held out an extra few days uh, for that moment with my family. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think, in addition to those kind of like those initial moments, like those those things that happen when we first hear the story. That I also have a lot of other, like, later conversion stories where something just shifted. Right. Um, Where some some way I saw God became new, you know? And stuck around. Yeah, Yeah. and it became, like, a transforming moment. And so I think I have probably additional stories, like, later in life. And we're actually going to see, you know, we're going to get eventually to this story where Simon Peter himself, who lived with Jesus has a, a moment that you could call a conversion story where he sees the way God's working in a new way. Right. We're going to see in Acts 15 where the whole church has a conversion moment where they say, oh, we missed this big thing that God was doing. Um, dang. Yeah. So hold on to your seats because <laughs> right. we're going to get there. <laughs> I'm holding. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just think conversion is something that uh, we do well to just like think of, not even just those moments where we are baptized or we're, even though we're going to get into that here, but those moments where we learn a new thing. Mm-hmm. And I actually think we would do well, especially as adults, to like have more moments where we're humble enough to like say, there's more for me. To accept a pivot. Yes, To uh, uh, act, totally to have a pivot. And I think that um, one of the reasons that the focus is on kids is because they're kind of humble enough to accept some new learning oh yeah some new way of seeing the world absolutely and so it'd be kind of a beautiful thing to have people at like 43 say oh maybe there was something I did not understand until now about
0: the way God works and might affect the way that they've seen their previous 43 years of life right it's it's hard I mean I understand why there's resistance to to change because it, it reshapes how you've been living so far you know yeah Richard Rohr has a
1: a great thing. I can't remember where I heard him talk about this, but he talks about how people are sometimes afraid of later conversion moments because it will make the time leading up to that feel like a waste. Mm. Like if I learn something new about who God is, will that make the time I spent before somehow invalid? Right. And I, I think there's a, there's a beauty to it. I think we're supposed to keep figuring this thing out. So, um, I think it's worth like investigating, keeping that like humble spirit that God might always lead us down a different uh, road than the one we're mm-hmm. on. So, uh, as we get into this, I think it's just important for us to to recognize that Acts is about several conversions. Uh, in this chapter, in chapter eight, we're gonna see moments where it's 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 a little messier than we maybe even give it credit for. Um, and I think that's just important to sort of say as we get started here. So we're talking about Philip. Again, Philip is one of the seven people who we saw in the last, chi- last story uh, gets picked to help make sure the Greek widows have breakfast. And he is in Samaria. Do you remember anything about Samaria? You just recently read Luke.
0: Yes, I honestly, I don't remember much about Samaria. I am um, geographically, I struggle. <laughs> I struggle. So if you have anything to, any insight to provide for me, I just know that it's um, away from where he was. Yes. Like they ventured out to go to Samaria. Yeah. Because of these persecutions. And
1: Jesus would often go through Samaria, which was, as Luke lets us know, that was kind of a wild thing for Jesus to do. Uh, because what we know from the gospel stories is that Jerusalem and Samaria were kind of enemies of a sort. Okay. Um, It was maybe like Columbus versus Ann Arbor, (laughs) but way more intense. Yeah. (laughs) More intense than that. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're you're in the Midwest, you maybe have some frame of reference for that. But um, So Philip is actually in Samaria, which is maybe one of our first nods that we're going to get to that thing that we heard Simon Peter quote Joel in Acts 2 about walls falling down, that there are not going to be barriers between people in the kingdom of God anymore, that the family of God is going to be a place where young and old and rich and poor and men and women and Samari- Samaritans in Jerusalem folks are going to be in the same space together.
0: Okay. So that's what we know about Samaria. Okay. So it would it have been controversial at all that Philip was there? Yes. Yeah. Because
1: every time Jesus goes through there— It causes like tension for his Hmm. disciples because they're like, we're not even supposed to walk through here. And now we're not only walking through here, but you're stopping to talk to a woman at the well. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, and he would very often it would be the disciples who would be angry at the people of Samaria and Jesus would have to kind of calm them down. Hmm. And so we're getting this uh, sense that the story of God is moving out. And so here's Philip. He's out and about. And he finds himself in Samaria, and he runs into a magician. Yes. And magic would, is going to show up more in the story. Uh, this was a thing. One of the, the interesting things about it is that the magicians in some way almost mimic the stories of Jesus. I mean, you think about how often Jesus like, messes with matter, right? He right. heals people. He makes a loaf of bread turn into a thousand pieces of bread, like enough Mm -hmm. to feed 5,000 people. Yeah, (laughs) there is a sense to some of Jesus' stories that he could add a Uh Um, ta-da. How awesome would that be?
0: I know. And And then Jesus said, ta-da. Yeah.
1: That's the magic translation. That's our next (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Where we imagine Jesus pulling rabbits out of Uh hats. Um, And so there is this like almost like, I think of them almost like street hustlers, Mm -hmm. like people who are just trying to get you to believe that they have some control, like some power over matter. Right. And through some sort of fake shock and awe. Yeah. To get attention, to get money. Mm -hmm. Like this is probably a street hustle for a magician is if you get enough people's attention, you put the hat on the ground, then you collect the money. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: And so... Uh, Here's this magician, and again, he would have been, I think, fascinated by Jesus because he would have seen something of what he's trying to do in the story of Jesus. And Mm -hmm. so Philip kind of introduces him uh, to Jesus, and he wants in on that story. And so he ends up getting baptized by Philip. Uh, Let's just stop and talk about uh, magicians for a little bit. Please, I would love to. <laughs> What's your,
0: have you ever gone to a magic show? Do you have any experience with I did. With magic? I've gone to, I went to a magic show when I was little. Just there's a Disney uh, shop and they do the magic and then you want to buy the things. Like right. he made it seem like this stuffed raccoon was alive. I, I buy the raccoon after. Um, and ever since I've been hooked. Like <laughs> I'd ask for um, magic kits for Christmas. I love looking up card tricks. To this day, every time I play a card game, I'd ask if the person across from me. Knows any knows any magic tricks. Yeah. I'm, I'm a sucker for it. Okay. What, what about you? What's your opinion? No, I hate it. I don't like it You hate all. it? <laughs> no, I don't like it at all. That's
1: awesome. I just am so bothered by it. I think because it's like, I sort of want to understand it, but like, it's very hard for me to just get lost in it and be yes. awed by it. Yeah. Probably for some of the same reasons that I didn't want to get baptized as a fourth grader. Okay. Like just kind of holding out on something. Right. Um. So I don't, I don't enjoy. Yes. Enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Something that I definitely do when I, when I have people do magic tricks for me is I intentionally try to not figure it out because I like that off factor and I can see, um, why that would rub some people the wrong way. Like I want to be kind of lost in this. Whoa. You, you did magic just now feeling without. I I can't even imagine walking through the world like that. Yes. I I want to be odd, even if it means setting aside my own intelligence. Okay.
1: Well, because it is impressive. You know, yeah. like there is something, if somebody's good enough, it, it is impressive. And I will mm-hmm. say, and I know you watched it too, but I just enjoyed the um, Derek Delgadio special that's on Hulu um, in and of itself, it's called. And he is, I think, because he's not just like a, he knows how to like manipulate cards. Oh, yeah. He does all these really amazing, like, I don't know what you would even call what he. It's something it outside of magic. Unbelievable. But he's also a storyteller, right? So, right. So his show, he's not just doing these tricks. There's meaning behind. He's trying to like get you to think about what what matter matters, right? And why people matter. And right. he he kind of uses his sleight of hand and his like memorization skills. He uses whatever it. I don't know how he does some of the things he does in there. Oh, he's
0: got to be a genius! It was, it is incredible. I would recommend yeah. it. <laughs> yeah,
1: we totally recommend it. But I, it, it is the first time I had an appreciation. Yeah, for the art of that.
0: What was interesting sure. in his show, he also uses that that side of hand as um, representative of um, like something wicked influencing, like as a, a, a devil figure, like in his life. Which yes, was also a fascinating. Um, way to shape that story yeah because it's
1: there's something about
0: deception in it
1: right like the idea is to deceive and we actually see that in the new testament world and even in some of the hebrew scriptures there's this idea of of sorcery and of that being like a gateway uh for satan the accuser to make his way into your life that there's something sort of evil about practicing magic and i think it goes to the heart of that like trying to deceive people try to make it seem like you have power that you don't have mm-hmm. or um but we see this magician is baptized and then he receives the holy spirit <laughs> um, and we should say that in acts the way that people receive the holy spirit in their life is there's several different formulas so it's very i kind of love that about it yeah that it doesn't go one way the, the same time like every time so it's not like like, sometimes people will feel like a prompting from the spirit, and that's why they decide to get baptized. As sometimes people will, like, baptism and the, the spirit coming into their, their body or into their presence is, like, it happens simultaneously. And then there's other stories where they get baptized, and because somebody didn't, like, check off the right box, the spirit doesn't show up. Mm. Like, where the spirit comes later because they didn't have a clear enough understanding of what they were doing in baptism
0: okay so, so it doesn't always mean the same thing it doesn't
1: always mean the same thing but the magician wants it to so when he has this experience of the holy spirit he's like oh i want to i want to be able to to do this i want this to be a part of my show
0: oh yeah yeah why would he he's not like, yeah, can i <laughs> get like, this, this is awesome this? yeah can um, i bring someone back from life <laughs> and there is this someone sense dead. that he he wants
1: to like turn it into part of his hustle uh and into part of his he's like his show and so he wants to buy it he wants to manipulate it and this is post being
0: baptized right? yes yeah. right yeah. so
1: kind of interesting that it's not like he's baptized and all of a sudden he makes really ethical choices uh-huh. um and again i think the spirit is something that we all like we've talked about this several times how we wrestle to understand it um speaking of like hearing words in a new way i just read uh, or i'm in the process of reading a translation of the gospels by sarah rudin And she translates the Holy Spirit, the holy life breath. Ah. And it's just enough of a switch, I think, for me. That it makes you think about it a little? It opens it up a little bit more. Right. um, That that it maybe makes us, like, consider how active it is around us and in us, um, even when we're not sure how it works. But the the holy life breath is what she calls it. Um, And so what we know... Uh, about uh, Simon that's the magician's name is Simon is he's trying to manipulate it for his own purposes which I think it's not too much of a stretch for us to imagine somebody trying to use the Holy Spirit for purposes other than what it's supposed to be for um so that's kind of his conversion story it's kind of messy yeah you know like it's not like he gets it um it takes him a while uh, to really understand it. And Philip has to kind of like encourage him to repent of this idea that you get to manipulate this. Like it's, we've seen the way it works in the church. It's actually out of our control very often. Right. And so
0: he kind of calls him to a, a clearer understanding of that. Um, yeah, I appreciate that messy story. I remember after I got baptized, I was so nervous, like that I was going <laughs> to do the same thing. I feel the same way every New Year's. Once the New Year starts, I feel almost like I can't um, breathe. Because I'll do something wrong to um, make whatever just happen less pure. Yeah. So it's kind of neat to see somebody say, I, I want this for me, and then stumble immediately after and get pivoted back onto a new path. Yeah. I, I liked this story. It's
1: freeing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if there's any pattern that we could point to, it's that people sometimes have like this really powerful moment and it doesn't hold up that long, you know, like it might last for a day, it might last for a year, it might carry you for five years, but then there does always become this need to revisit it, and to, to redefine it, and to, you know, very often the things that draw us close to God have to kind of morph and grow with us, and so I think we see that a little bit hinted at, uh, in this, in this story. Um, before we get into the next, we're going to get into another conversion story because Philip actually has two encounters that are a really big deal here. Um, I think it's worth just kind of what do we from what you read here about Philip? What do you imagine him? Could you were you able to get any feel for what he would have for breakfast?
0: Oh, I don't know. Did you did you have any thoughts? I what I think is interesting is that
1: we don't know anything about him. Like it doesn't give us any characteristics of like. And I think this is what makes the Bible hard for people sometimes, right? Is Because right. if I start a movie or a book, I want an idea of the the people. Like, I want to know what they're about. Right. And so sometimes I think scripture cuts short, like, some of this character work. But I, that might be on purpose. Okay. So it might be on purpose because when you look at the whole book of Acts, the primary, like, the center of the story is not necessarily all these humans. It's, it's the word of God
0: mm.
1: that spoiler here, the, <laughs> the very last <laughs> sentence of the book of Acts is about the gospel going on at the only, this will be the only time I'll use a Greek word, but it uses the word akolutos without hindrance. And so you get this idea that the human players in the story are not the main deal, so even though our primary purpose is to, like, understand the human players so that right. we could see God working in us, the actual book of Acts doesn't really seem to want us to, like, pay so much attention to the people in the story that we miss the holy life breath.
0: Yeah, it's what they're immobilized. To, yeah. To so maybe
1: the knew. most we could say about Philip is that he tends to, he definitely seems open to whatever's around. So right. maybe he's a leftover guy yeah like maybe he's the guy who's like on thursday he's gonna eat monday night's dinner okay. for breakfast um or maybe just whatever's in front of him yeah. he's gonna like open himself up to that
0: yeah he was up to get up and go to the next place that they needed to be yeah so. he's on
1: the move and right. he seems like he just expects that he's gonna have food when he needs to have food um We do, we are going to learn later that Philip is a girl dad. Oh. That he's, we're going to get to the moment where he has four daughters. Not just as, not only does he have four daughters, he has four daughters who are considered prophesiers. Wow. Uh, So uh, we're going to get to women in ministry here in the podcast, but we should maybe just, like Luke often forecast or gives a preview. Uh, We're going to see later that Philip. Whatever he does in his life has made four of his daughters people who can speak the word of God. So, uh, and we're actually going to see some of that goodness of Philip here in this next story, because he runs into uh, an Ethiopian eunuch. It tells us that he meets a a man who is a court official of the Candace Queen of the Ethiopians. Uh, Now, did you know, do you know what a eunuch is? That's not a word that we hopefully use very often.
0: Yes, I'm familiar with eunuch from Game of Thrones. Lord Varys was a eunuch and a really large figure in the show. He's actually one of my favorite characters. Okay.
1: What did that, how did that work out in the Game of Thrones universe? What was a eunuch? What do you know about them?
0: Um, It means they were castrated at some point in their life. Yes. Yeah. And very often they're for the purpose of serving people in power. Right, yeah. He was the... um, he was in charge of finding out all of the hidden secrets for um, the Lannisters. Yeah.
1: Very often it's like it's supposed to disempower them. Right. So that they have no drive of their own. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I read said it actually takes away, like, especially if he is serving a queen.
0: Yes. That it will. would, like,
1: desexualizing them would make it, it would take away the possibility of, like, a sexual scandal or entanglement. Um so that they would only be about their work. Right. Um, which is just, I mean, just let's just stop and say that's so horrible. Cool.
0: Yeah, it's so dehumanizing. Yeah, it just takes away like a crucial part of what it is to be a person.
1: Right. Um, to serve somebody in power. Very often the people who would become eunuchs were maybe people who didn't have any family protection or any family money. So their only way for stability uh, would have been to submit to that right process a vulnerability or they were they were, they were th- so without protection that they would have ended up in this uh, spot by force right um, it was widely practiced in the ancient world really uh, so it's just a dark a dark part of, of being a person I think sometimes that's why like zooming out and not just looking at the bible story but the story in the world around it can like help us maybe see why the story of jesus would have been even more compelling than we can imagine you know because again he very often is trying to bring dignity to people who didn't have dignity Mm -hmm. and so when he is calling out or when he's being kind to prostitutes or when he's taking care of widows or when he's calling out the goodness in tax collectors like he is very often ennobling people who have had all their nobility taken away from them wow so it might have felt more radical than it is maybe today yeah i think we have to keep that in mind when we read the stories and then again if the disciples are trying to do the same things that jesus did it makes perfect sense that somebody like philip who has fallen in love with the story of jesus would want to keep that going
0: right and why it's a significant to the story to identify this man as a eunuch, maybe, so that we understand a little bit more about what that dynamic looked like and right. why it was so significant.
1: Yeah, it's a really big piece of the story because it tells us that the eunuch has, he's reading scripture. He's reading from the book of Isaiah, and the passage he's reading is from Isaiah 53. It's a part of Isaiah that's about this picture of a suffering servant, of somebody Uh, Who is being mocked. Um, It gets applied very often to Jesus, but it could also be the story of Israel being kind of an underdog, being humiliated, often feeling um, less than, but ultimately being lifted up uh, by God. And so this something about this story is already compelling to the eunuch. Mm -hmm. uh, But then it tells us that Philip kind of explains it to him and he says... I know a man uh, who would fit this description and who would also understand the life that you're living. And so the eunuch's response to this is to ask for immediate baptism. Wow. And he has this powerful sentence. He says, Look, here's some water. Uh And he says, What is to prevent me from being baptized? And if we see the book of Acts as being a, a dropping of walls, a dropping of barriers, Maybe there would be people who would say, well, here's some reasons why you can't be baptized. Because this is a man who's been othered his whole life, you know? Mm-hmm. And so maybe there would be people who would say that you shouldn't be. But Philip says, well, of course you should be. And so he baptizes him. Um, it's worth saying that as we read the story, um, Brandy Carlile, who's this, like, brilliant singer-songwriter that I really enjoy a lot, has just come out with this memoir where she tells the story, it's like a heartbreaking story of, uh, I think she was like in middle school or high school or something, and she was um, she was in a same-sex relationship as a kid, and her the pastor of the church, she was going to found out about this. And so on the day of her baptism, she had like shown up in her clothes ready to get baptized, mm-hmm. she had invited all her family and friends, and the pastor took her aside and basically said, unless you're willing to change your whole life before you get baptized, you can't be baptized and sends her home and kind of rejects her walls up yeah walls up and it's this it's just been haunting me as we as we record this and I think it's you know obviously like um, same-sex marriage is a a thing that churches are kind of wrestling through some churches are trying to kind of hold the ground on on traditional marriage Um, but I, I think what's striking to me about this moment and about her story is that there's nothing that gets in the way of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And that, especially in this initial moment, like Philip doesn't say, well, here's five things you have to do before God will like embrace you. Right. He doesn't say like, you have to be restored in these five ways. You have to change these behaviors. Like he just kind of trusts that the grace of God will do its work in, yeah. ph- in the eunuch that that God will keep leading the eunuch to what is true and good. And that, uh, there is this the, that whatever else needs to maybe happen in the life of this eunuch will be worked out later in the community but there's nothing that gets in the way of him
0: right having what's to stop us from doing it right now <laughs> nothing and that that is the answer nothing will stop us
1: and so uh, that it tells us that the spirit of the lord kind of Shows up and um, actually takes Philip away from the story. So Philip doesn't even sit there later and be like, okay, now that you're baptized,
0: here's, <laughs> here's the, what you got to do. Here's the things. Like, you can't, You can't, um, we're not going to sell you magic powers so that you can do your street right. show. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, so what's so messy with the magician actually is very simple in the eunuch story. And I think it's, it speaks to they had a, a trust that the spirit would lead people and that the holy life breath would do whatever work it needed to do in both the magician and in the eunuch and Philip didn't feel like he had to control that and so at the very least it maybe is a word to us about like a meditation on grace um the way grace could and should be operative in the church is that it should be there should be nothing that gets in the way of it um I do think it's worth also just saying. uh, I think sometimes we don't know what to do with like the idea of evangelism. Philip gets called Philip the evangelist Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, and that word is kind of a funny. Like, uh, what are your first thoughts when you hear the word evangelist?
0: Uh, I remember when I was younger and I first learned about evangelism. I I remember really hoping that I wouldn't get called to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think we have a like a certain
1: idea of like it being like a salesman almost right or like a like somebody who imposes themselves on other people but I think what I love about these stories of Philip is that he he's just open to spiritual conversation right so um he sees the eunuch reading Isaiah and so he sees a natural curiosity he there
0: says, hey what do you want to like let's talk yeah let's just <laughs> keep
1: talking about that and you know even the magician he sees some like parallels between the magician and the story of Jesus and I love that what he sees is that the story of Jesus might be the story that these people are looking for and so he's ready to like enter into conversation and I would maybe even just call him like Philip the conversationalist <laughs> you know <laughs> Let's do it like he's gifted at uh-huh. at just like hearing people like and he so he listens also in these stories which yeah. I think is a component of evangelism that we forget sometimes Uh, So I think if we were going to say what there's like an invitation for us in these stories, it is, um, I I think I've been working lately even on just like being more ready to like, to where God might be leading in a conversation. And sometimes that might mean like saying the one thing that's right past what's comfortable to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's also being ready to like, listen to like, what are people searching for? And more often than we know, the story of Jesus might be the one they're, they're hoping for. Yeah. So, uh, these are complicated stories and that I, I think, I think that's what I l- love about Acts and it's why I keep returning to it in my life is that it, it is very often a little messier than we want it to be, mm-hmm. um, which is also what we, you know, you find out about conversion <laughs> is that as simple and pure as it is to feel mercy in the waters of baptism, uh, it's also grows in complexity
0: right right it continues it's, to be it's not a one and done
1: no it's, it's somehow a, a one and one and one <laughs> and one again 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 so uh it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace which i think we're all hoping for so that's the breakfast translation we're glad that you read along with us again our hope is that this will also prompt questions and imagination for you. So if you have questions or things that these stories make you think about uh, you can follow us on Instagram at The Breakfast Translation and we'll uh, hopefully be with you next week to get into the, one of the biggest conversion stories which is the story of Saul Paul. End of story? Who found the last love?